You're listening to the Theater Student Podcast with Emmy D'Amico. having me. Of course. So what's going on in your life, Sam? Well, I just got out of a three-week-long quarantine. I was extended because my roommates needed to quarantine, so I'm finally back on campus and trying to get everything figured out. So are your roommates, like, did they test negative? It's all good now? They never showed any symptoms, so they never got any tests done. Good. Yeah. Sam, what classes are you taking this year? What kind of fun stuff are you doing that you're excited about? Oh, I'm in a lot of classes right now. So since I'm a senior, a lot of my like core classes are already done. And the things that I mainly need to take now are production electives um, for communications. Yeah. And because they're two credits, you can take a lot of them at one time, but then you don't realize how much work they are. And then you're just swamped with things that you have to do. but it's a good lesson with like time management, so it'll work out in the what end. What are you producing in your production? Well, I haven't been here for three weeks, so right now nothing. Oh, um, Not <laughs> yeah, like virtually. No, they're all very hands-on classes. So I'm taking a post-production workshop, which I was able to turn in one of my assignments virtually because it was a presentation. Um, And then the other two are like more physical classes. One's an audio workshop and one's like a camera mountain rigs workshop. So you like have to be there to learn those things. Yeah, I guess you can't use camera equipment you don't have. (laughs) No, definitely not. Wow, it's really changing. Like when you watch those, uh, the late night shows or they'll have uh, the fundraiser with Lady Gaga, the Pepsi one, and they sent Mm -hmm. everyone who was participating really nice camera equipment and microphones it really shows you the value of having people who know how to operate those things yeah which I don't understand like if I if I was Lady Gaga and I was by myself I wouldn't know how to set up like a hundred thousand dollar camera like we don't know how much this equipment all costs like there's like classes and classes on how to operate that thing and they just send them out and they're like figure it out but she's Lady Gaga, so. <laughs> true, true. She can do Isn't anything. That performance of Rain on Me. I saw bits and pieces of it. I never watched the whole thing through. I'm terrible. Um, but I never watched the full thing through. But um, Jackson, who was also a guest on this show, um, was sending me videos of it. And from what I saw, it was amazing. He loves it so much. I love that she. He does. <laughs> and that everyone wore a mask. Like they, they yeah. Really sometimes I think BTS, what at the MTVs they filmed each of them individually, mm-hmm. and they put them all together so that they didn't have to wear masks. But it was nice that Lady Gaga was like, "Nope, everyone's doing this." Yeah, um, it just goes to show that there's literally no excuse not to. They are singing, dancing, sweating under like huge production lights. You you can you can do it. You can wear one. <laughs> Yeah, it's so hard to understand what the world is like now. I know. And to conceptualize, like, blocking and theater. Have you found a lot? I'm sure you've been choreographing things. How does that affect it? Have you been trying to do six feet apart dancing or filming things? Yeah, I mean, over the summer, I, I work as a dance teacher at my old studio that I, like, graduated from. Mm-hmm. And it was really difficult because we couldn't do, I couldn't structure the class how I normally did. Like they couldn't go across the floor or anything. They just had to stay within their little six feet boxes. Um, and it was hard because how do you even create a combo that's stationary enough not to travel outside of that? Um, but it definitely pushes your limits as a choreographer and as a dancer to try to come up with something that still feels artistic while being like relatively stationary. Yeah, 
I've seen a lot of uh, dance teachers and movement teachers having that impulse to go and like physically correct something on someone, like someone's possible yeah. and you just can't. Yeah, especially my one friend teaches like a stretch class where a lot of the stretches that you have to do um, require like partner stretching and like you like lay down on somebody, like it's like all like by like somebody else's weight. And she had to cut like half of those things out from what she was teaching and had to figure out alternatives, like what stretch could be an alternative for this because she just didn't know what to do. Yeah, Jay was saying, he's one of our professors we've talked about on this podcast before. He's uh, reevaluating his whole class and saying what actually needs to be there and what have I just kind of done because I've always done it so I don't have to keep doing it if we find it difficult in COVID to do it. Yeah. It, I think it definitely puts a new perspective on the world of like, what did you do just because you were told to do instead of what did you do because you needed to do it? Absolutely. Like I'm directing a play. I'm trying to direct Rocky Horror in an immersive way, assuming that we'll all still be in school and like be able to congregate in that way. Mm-hmm. It'll be outside and inside just kind of, trying something new, like a really big project to see what the limits are and what High Point can take. Yeah, and how much or what the responsibility that we can take as students can be. Um, I'm really excited to see what happens with that, though, with Rocky Horror. I think it'd be really cool. Yeah. So many people are putting on productions and filming things who had never done that before. Even yeah. in comm classes, like, oh, I wrote this for a comm class, so why don't I film it and put it on Instagram, and then people can see it, and there's so much yeah. that we're getting access to that we didn't before. Yeah, and I think now, especially, there's always been um, collaboration between the theater and the communications department on campus, but I think this year, this semester, more than ever, just because we're really relying on them to get our work out there because we need their skills as much as like they need the production experience to have it you know yeah absolutely and it's a whole new world of how do we work tiktok and instagram jackson was talking about TikTok. <laughs> yeah, <He loves> yeah. <laughs> yeah oh trust me i wake up i think every single day with at least 10 messages from him on tiktok of him sending me things <laughs> said tiktok those are the kind of true friends that are like they're not yeah yeah well enough (laughs) yeah really well that has been our social segment (laughs) thanks sam for uh for tuning in and for giving us a little glimpse into your life and your thoughts on covid august osage county is the reading of this week and if you're new here uh i'll tell you that we do a reading every week from the actor's aesthetic list of the top 40 plus plays that every it says actor but i think theater maker should read so uh I totally support this in its entirety, especially during COVID when you can't go see plays. But also, if you don't live in New York City and you can't see plays all the time, then reading them is a great way to still expose yourself to theater and to the work that we're doing because it's easy to become like disenchanted or distanced from the world of theater if you're not actively participating in it all the time. And it's also easy to see theater as something that doesn't exist beyond the walls of your high school or college if you're not going out and experiencing other people's theater and broadening your mind and developing taste. Like, what do you like? If you haven't seen a whole lot, you don't know what you like. So reading plays is super beneficial. It's also, like, low-key impressive. You can impress your professors and be like, oh, this one, that's just like in Tennessee Williams, Blanche Dubois, da 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 and then you already have that connection with someone. But it's also good to just know more things about the thing that you like uh, and be able to work on a deeper level and make those connections and kind of experience your own arc. The more you read, the more you'll learn about how theater is written and how it's performed and how it has been performed and how maybe you want to change it. You can't do that if you don't know how it's been in the past. So the reading this week is August Osage County, and I'd never read it before this week, and boy was I missing out. What a beautiful piece. Absolutely gorgeous. The the dialogue, plot-wise, almost nothing happens. There are, like, 
two big surprises, but there aren't big events that happen. It's not like, oh, and then she moved away, and her mother stopped loving her, and then her father turned into a hamster. They they just, you hear all these dialogues of people who have generational trauma, and how it has upset the people below them, people that, the older generation, the, the fathers and mothers, the grandmothers, the great aunts, they're the ones who lived through these awful experiences in the, the, the Great Depression and th- having their heads bashed with ball-peen hammers. And that grit and normalcy of torture and just a, a hard day-to-day existence affected how they raised their children and affected how their children raised their children and they all have such resentment for each other all the time and it kind of leads the reader to wonder what would happen what would have happened if there was some mental health inter like someone intervened in a mental health way or maybe if they had just taken each other at their word or judge them where they were at not oh well I had it so much harder growing up so you can deal with whatever this is it's the hardest thing they've encountered thus far the interpersonal relationships and I love plays that especially question what you have in your mind like we all pretty much assume it's pretty common opinion it's the common opinion in America that dating your cousins or your your family members is like gross and icky and in this play we see that uh these two people who they thought they were cousins were very much in love and uh they didn't think it mattered that they were biologically related because they weren't going to reproduce um the woman was sterile so it didn't didn't matter to them and when they found out that They were, in fact, brother and sister that, biologically, that didn't really change anything because they still felt that relationship to each other. And that sounds so off-putting and disturbing, but from the lens of theater, and this is one of the greatest parts about theater, you can't write a research essay that convinces people that their love was real like point by point uh see when he brought her flowers on june 4th that showed that he cares for her enough to uh sustain her in a way that would be giving a perishable item and uh he knows that he will then have to purchase another perishable item sometime in the near future like you can't calculate love that way but in theater you can show they make each other happy and it certainly doesn't entirely justify dating your siblings. That's not what the whole play is about. But the idea that there could be an instance where it wasn't 100% bad. They love each other. They make each other happy. And at some point, it's not our business. It's theirs. And uh, I think that's a very powerful thing that this play could do. It also makes some really awful actions uh, not justified, but it makes them understandable. The grandmother yells at everyone and is just so angry all the time. And yes, she's just lost her husband, but she really doesn't seem to care. She's really not concerned. She's just mad at everyone that they didn't suffer as much as she did and that They could get through so much and so many hard things and then when there's no active struggle, the world falls apart. She feels like she's being left alone and abandoned because no one can stand to be around her. And it's taking a toll on her as a person. And that's the thing in theater, she's a person. In this play, she has this humanity that... You couldn't explain away in her obituary. Oh, she was a mother to three and she had a loving husband who died mysteriously last year or something like that. You can't boil it down to facts. It comes across in the 
subtleties and not even just the actual readings of the dialogue. I think in most theater makers' minds, when they read a play, it starts to come alive in your head. You start to see the people's facial expressions or start to mimic them in your own face and say, how would this, how would this play out in a real house? Uh, set designers, too. Like, not just actors who think that way and directors, but set designers. Where are they in the space? How does it balance them out? Do, they, do there need to be higher points on the set where they can play with that elevation of who has the high ground? Do there need to be lots of lights in this room? Is it bright and exposing everything? Or is it dark and maybe you see how evil creeps into it? There's so much to do with this play. And the couple of twists in it really make it so interesting to read and just keep wanting to read it. You cannot put it down. I was reading it at work and I ended up staying an extra half hour at my desk past when I was off of work just reading it because it's so engrossing. It's a beautiful piece and everyone 100% should read it. So let's get back to Sam. Let's jump right into the meat of the podcast, the lesson of today. What we're talking about is sensitivities in theater. So do you want to speak a little bit about your experience with, and I think specifically, we're going to talk about first eating disorders and body dysmorphia in theater mm-hmm. and in, uh, in dance. So do you have any, yeah. any stories or experiences you want to share about that? Oh, I have tons of them, but I want to like start off by saying I am by no means an expert in this subject, and the only thing that I can speak to is my experiences with it, um, and it's going to be different for every single person. You know, no two people are alike, so although this may be my experience or Emmy's experience, it doesn't have to necessarily hold true to you. Um, but I grew up, I started dancing when I was two, and I started competing when I was six, and when you're in that environment it's always you're always being compared to people and it just becomes part of your life like I never noticed it half the time until I graduated and was able to look back on it and be like huh my best friend and I were always in the same numbers together and I was constantly being compared to her and she was constantly being compared to me so I think when it comes to especially competitive dance with costuming it's a huge, huge thing that we're told that we need to look a certain way um, in order for the dance to look good, for the costume to look good, for you to have a certain line. Um, it's really hard on young, on young women especially because I think we have enough societal pressure to look a certain way. And then on top of that, add in this competitive factor to it. Um, it really messes with your self-image and I think I was about maybe 11 the first time that we wore like a two-piece costume and some of the girls had a two-piece with this like mesh over it was like this black mesh that like connected it in the stomach so that you couldn't see if they didn't have a flat stomach or not and the other girls that did have a flat stomach didn't have that piece So that was the first time it, yeah, that was the first time it really like connected with me. Like, oh, what we look like matters, I guess. And I was 11, you know, it was like, I never got that chance to like. Flat stomach. Yeah. Who has a flat stomach at age 11 unless you're like a twig, you know, most kids don't. Especially with like young girls. It's like around the time where they're starting to like really go through puberty and you're like, I I don't know what's happening to my body. Like, please don't compare me to other people. Or look at me, or... (laughs) Don't look at me. If you look at me, I'm going to cry. I can't handle this. Like, it was really bad. Um, And I think from there on out, I kind of, like, I didn't grow up being... I was never overweight, but I was never, like, super, super thin either. Um, Like, my dance teacher always used to say that I had, like, an athletic build, which is not a bad thing. But my best friend is so so skinny like doesn't even have to try and she has a six pack at all times like that kind of person and that's you know if that's your build that's totally fine but with me I was like well why can't I look like that not realizing that bodies are different 
Yeah. You know? And also the fact that, you know, your dancer would say you have an athletic build as a way of politely insulting you is kind of insane. That, right? Like, oh, you, you look strong. You look strong, that aka like you're thing. thicker than the other one. Like, <laughs> and in dance, never really yeah, all like, the time. Like, you never saw ballerinas with defined muscles, even though they were. No. Six no, and, and it's crazy because I remember in ballet, you know, none of the people that I really danced with were overweight. We danced like 30 something hours a week. I don't think there was really any way for us to put on a significant amount of weight because we barely even had time to eat or do anything. It was really, what we thought was healthy was really, really unhealthy when you look back at it. Yeah. Um, and I remember in ballet, the girl was a little bit older than me and she was really thin. And she asked about like how to lose like inner, like she wanted like a thigh gap. And she asked her ballet teacher and she said, well, that just comes from dieting. And if you're fat, you're never gonna have a thigh gap. And she was and, this thin little girl. Yeah, she was really, really tiny. and you know, no one would ever in their right mind look at her and, like, be like, oh, that girl's fat. <laughs> like, it was crazy. And I remember thinking, like, oh, my God, did she just call her fat? Like, what is happening? Did she just tell a small child to diet? Yeah. To achieve some sort of body image. Wow. Yeah, I think diet culture is something that is, like, thrown in our faces from so, so young, especially when you're in some sort of performance world that you're always told that you have to look a certain way or you won't get a certain part or you have to look a certain way or you won't be costumed right, you know? Yeah, and I think that too, in theater, it's less blatant. I feel like in, in dance, it's kind of no holds barred. Like, they, they do not hold back. They're like, oh no, oh, you're wrong for this. But in theater, there's more like an accepting everyone can be here type mentality. So it's like, just not talked about that, oh, if you're overweight, you're going to play a mother in every single show. Yeah, definitely. Or if you're tall, or if you have short hair, you will be a boy. Yeah. Yeah, I think it happens more often than we even realize because it's just kind of embedded in our brains. Like certain body types go to certain roles, which is crazy because there's no right body type for any person, you yeah. know? I know lots of, quote, fat, funny character type people who are very thin, and lots yes. of people who are fat who aren't funny, and they have that ingenue quality, and they're passive, and things like that. So I think yeah. that in terms of advice for theater students, if you're auditioning for shows, and you get to say, hi, I'm Emmy, I'm auditioning for The Cow in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> in um, Into the Woods, then do that. But like audition for whatever role speaks to you, not whatever role you think speaks to your stereotype. Especially in yeah. high school, it's not like you're there people are gonna cancel their season tickets because they disagree with a casting choice. Yeah. Have and I think with any like educational theater setting, even in college, like this is your time to experiment with different roles that like that you can get, you know? And if you're automatically typecasting yourself and only going after the roles that you think that you're a good fit for you're not really benefiting from that educational setting absolutely you want to stretch those muscles and challenge the theater norms as they are so that maybe it'll be different by the time the next generation is auditioning for high school yeah and uh if you're doing a student work in high school if you're assistant directing or putting on a, a play that you've written really think about, and this, this was something that I very quickly jumped into because it's so interesting to me, the idea of, oh, well, I'm directing this piece, and then you have the characters in your mind from when you read it, and take each person that comes into the auditioning space, and don't judge them against your image of what the character could be right away. Like, that's part of it, of course, your artistic vision and how you think that this should be played, but take that person first off as just them and say, think in your mind, what would it be like if they were the character? Yeah. And see what kind of, it's a very quick way to recognize your own uh, 
the your own opinions of things and what holds you back and your own prejudices in theater. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think you can be your biggest fan or your biggest enemy. It really, and it doesn't even have to be just determined by your own inner voice. It can be determined by voices that you've heard from your whole life, you know? Like in my case, growing up dancing, I was always, I always felt because of the things that I was told that I would never measure up to the people around me. And looking back, watching, yeah, (laughs) well, (laughs) um, looking back, like I watched dances and I was like, wait, I was good. Like, you why are did good, I feel, Sam. I was like, why did I feel that I wasn't good enough? Thank you. But like, why did I feel that I wasn't like enough? And I would psych myself out all the time. Like you could see it from like me in group dances to my solos. My solos, I would look like this shy little, I have never performed on stage before kind of like person that just didn't know what they were doing there you and wound up on stage. Taking up space. Yeah. I would literally walk on and be like, I'm sorry, I don't want to be here either. Like, oh, really bad. Yeah. It was really bad. Um, and it wasn't until probably my junior year of high school that I was like, you know what? It's just dancing. And I would go on stage and I would do my dances and I'd end up placing. And I, would, I, would, I did so much better when I learned to let go of the idea that, like, they're judging you instead of just being like, I'm performing. Yeah, I mean, that applies to auditions and all performance. It's just, oh, yeah. The worst they can do is not like it. And that sounds terrifying that they wouldn't, but if you like it, they're much more inclined to do so. Yeah, exactly. Like, last, last semester was the first time that I ever, like, formally auditioned for a show here. Um and I didn't really do theater before college just because I was always busy. Um, yeah, that just changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember last semester going in, like, full-blown panic attack. And that's not even an exaggeration. Like, I was silently, like, I felt like I was dying the entire time. And I was so nervous. And when I got a callback, I got callbacks for both of the shows, actually, which I was like, what? um because I just didn't think that I could do it and this semester I went in and I was like you know what if I get something great if I don't then I don't and all I can do is do my personal best make them believe me and say you know they know me they they the goal of somebody that's like being no the auditioner's goal is never to be like well this person sucks you know? Absolutely. They're always on your side. Yeah. They want to cast their play with people that are good. Yeah, exactly. And they they honestly are hoping that you're the one. Yeah. <laughs> the minute you walk in. So uh, that was something that I had to learn for this year and it ended up working out well. Yeah, it worked out okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, pretty good. And you were saying something earlier about how eating and the time that you were exercising compared to the time that you were eating in dance classes was so unhealthy. Can you expand yeah. upon, like, how did your dance teachers, did they give you breaks to eat food, or did they encourage you guys to, I mean, dieting is one thing, but just generally eat healthy or take time for yourself? Well, I had two very different experiences. So from the time I first started competing, so I was about six until I was around 14, I went to one studio where it was extremely competitive. You, this was the one that had like all those like psychological things that I was talking about before. Um, And then I kind of just had a breaking point. and was like, I can't be in this environment anymore. And I went to the studio that I graduated from where I absolutely loved it. Both were really, really hard and both were really, really time consuming, but for very different reasons. My um, first studio, we did all technique classes throughout the week. So it would be immediately after school until like 10 o'clock at night. And my studio was about 20 minutes away from my house. Um, And for somebody that's, you know, trying to learn, I was in, I was in all honors classes, not to brag or anything, Um, (laughs) but I was in like, (laughs) yeah, I was in all honors classes as a kid. I was really, really hard on myself with grades. And I remembered one day I was in 
like accelerated math. So I had like algebra in eighth grade instead of ninth grade. And I remember getting an 89 on a test and calling my mom from like the guidance office, hysterical crying, saying that I failed the test. And she had to like pick me up and like have like a mental health day with me at age 13 because I just was like not okay. It was like a breakdown. Um, which an 89 on a test is not bad. No, and also um, on, you know, your end of semester grade, it's not going to matter. Exactly. But in my 13-year-old grade, I was like, I'm going to fail the class, which didn't happen. Um, but I would wake up, I would go to school. Then I would have my school dance team immediately after school, then go straight from there to my studio, do technique. And I, that was about four days a week that I had technique there. Um, and then come home, do my homework at like 1030 at night, shower, go to bed and do it all the next day. And then um, when I switched like studios, time for you to eat. no, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of time for me to do anything. Um, I would literally eat like in the car going from like school to dance it would be like my dinner my mom would come in with like a lunch box and be like here I got you carrot sticks and I'd be like okay like <laughs> yeah it was so bad and then I would eat dinner dinner when I came home at 10 o'clock at night she would save me a plate and like I would eat then because that was the only time I really had um and it got worse in high school and then on the weekends, we had all day rehearsal Saturday and Sunday. There was no break. Um, and then when I got into high school, when I went to that other studio, it was a very similar thing because I was on like the varsity dance team then. Mm -hmm. um, so that was more of a time commitment. And my studio, I was in a lot more numbers at that second studio just because it was a smaller group of people. Um, so I'd be in like 15 dances a year there. Um, a lot. I cannot yeah. imagine learning 15 dances. No, I don't know how I did it, but I did. Um, and then I was also in AP classes in high school, and I would wake up at like five in the morning, get ready to go to school, and I wouldn't come home until like 11 o'clock at night. And it was just not a lot of time for yourself. And I think on top of constantly moving, not really eating you're you're looking for like quick meals at that point you're like a slice of pizza great I'll take it like you're just you're not thinking you're not eating mindfully at all um so the fact that it was meals that weren't really giving me energy to sustain the lifestyle I was living led to me feeling a lot worse than I do now even though I was working out so much more you just weren't like feeding your body what it needed no, not at all. And that's another thing when um, somebody that I knew got sick with COVID, I was telling them like, in this case, there's no medicine that's going to really help you. And you need to give you like your food is going to be your medicine. You need to eat the right things so that your body has the right tools to fight off the virus. My cousin had COVID and she is living in New York as well. And she mm -hmm. said the same thing. Uh, she yeah. went vegan for her recovery because she read that milk cells can hold the virus in your body. So she mm -hmm. just cut it out and she felt so much better. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy how much your diet has, I don't want, I don't say diet in like a, like a negative connotation, just diet of what you eat on what the day to day. Yeah. Um, how much that has an effect on your body. And I don't eat healthy all the time. I, you know, there's some days where I'm like, I really want like cheese fries <laughs> and I'll go to cookout and I'll get cheese fries and you're allowed to do that. That's totally fine. But like, it's really true that like what you put in your body is how you're going to feel. Yeah. And taking, taking note of how you feel when you eat certain things or when you don't eat other things. Yeah. Like I know. I cannot have dairy. And a lot of the times I'll be like, you know what? I really want it right now and I'll do it. And I have you to realize that, you know, <laughs> exactly. I have to realize that my stomach's going to hurt a little bit later. <laughs> like in like, and, and high school, I did morning announcements in the morning and then the same thing, like, you know, AP and honors classes. And I mm -hmm. took choir during lunch and I went to tech theater during study hall and like crammed in as many things as I could 
and I was at school for the the big days our um our musical we didn't cut anyone so everyone who auditioned got to be in the ensemble which I think was great it was a great yeah to learn lots and everyone gets to learn more and you get to work with more people my senior year I co-assistant directed it which was basically stage managing it Mm -hmm. there were 150 people so we were there for every single rehearsal of every group and every number and every song and we had sectioned it off into groups so some people were in singing rehearsal while others were in dance and others were in blocking and they were all separate because the the group was just so large we were juggling that whole thing and some days we were at school for like 18 hours a day like you said coming yeah. home at like 10 11 12 1 and yeah shoving some food in your face and going to bed my whole diet was I'd get up and it'd be so full from eating so close to bed <laughs> the night before yeah that at like lunchtime I'd just have one coffee with eight sugars in it and that would be my whole day's worth of food, and then I come home and eat, like, half a loaf of bread, because I was so hungry. Yeah, oh my god, and that's so bad, too, is, like, my, I used to have a problem with not eating enough throughout the day, and I still kind of do that, especially if it's, like, you're going from class to class, and you just don't, like, now it's more of I don't realize it, whereas back when I was in high school, it would literally just be that I didn't have time, Um, and my mom told me, she was, like, you need to eat, about every two hours just something small it doesn't have to be a meal but like especially me I have like blood sugar problems or if I don't eat for an extended like not an extended amount of time I could be not eating for like an hour and a half and then all of a sudden I'd be like oh my blood sugar is low and like just be like dizzy like I wouldn't even be hungry yeah um so that like you have to eat small amounts like every two hours or so that and I mean if you're not hungry don't eat but like um to keep your body going so you don't have those fits of oh my god I'm starving and then you overeat and then you feel awful yeah and I was not healthy at that time and then I was like oh I'm not eating enough vegetables so I brought this is so dumb I brought a whole bag of spinach just raw spinach which (laughs) I do love to a Saturday rehearsal that was an all day and just ate it and I felt so sick because it was just so much of the same thing that's a lot of spinach to eat (laughs) it really is it was so I love spinach but not I've learned that that is too much like you're eating little bits over a while having a variety of what you eat is important exactly yeah and changing it Um, up and when you're that's what brings us a little bit more to our topic today of theatrical eating you should mm-hmm. be bringing food to rehearsal. One hundred percent, especially those like those tech days that are going forever. Um, yes. That you know you're not gonna. Chances are you're not gonna be used the entire day during a tech rehearsal. Those times that you're not on stage are so important, just as important as the times that you are on stage, because you need to be focusing on what you need to do. Um, and I think especially. I mean, with our school, we have the 10 to 10. It's usually on Saturday. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, it's been forever since we've done any tech rehearsals. It's been like 10 to 10, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) It's just, it's been crazy. Um, We've had some crazy tech stories here. Oh, yeah. But I, you know... I remember for Borrowed Babies, which is the show that we did, the last show that we did in the spring before COVID happened. His last theatrical <laughs> performance. <laughs> um, I remember I forgot to bring a bag of like just snacks and I was shaking the entire day. And Megan, I believe it was Megan, who um, was an exchange student here. Um, so she was like, I'm, oh my God, she was the best. I love her. She was like, I have this, I have this, I have this, I have this. And she was just, like, giving me random things to eat throughout the day. Because I just was like, I'm shaking and I don't know what to do. Um, And it's weird because when I'm doing, like, tech crew stuff, I always remember. But when I started to to do, when I started to do performance, I just completely forgot what a tech process was, I guess. And I was like, I'll be fine. No, I wasn't. 
Yeah. But like you brought snacks. I always bring protein bars or like Mm -hmm. some little apples or things because it's fun to bring like a big bag of Cheetos or something and definitely bring that. Have your fun snack. It's a long day but have things that will nutrate you and carry you through this rehearsal. Yeah, definitely give you the energy that you need to get through that. Especially, like, you don't realize, I feel like people that don't perform don't realize how tiring going to tech rehearsals are because those lights, when they're just shining on you, even if you're not doing anything, it drains you. They're so, like, I I was sweating like crazy throughout the whole thing because I was just like, it's so hot up here. (laughs) And um being in like you're performing the whole time and that takes yeah. energy to be go back and back and back and then forward again. yeah every time you hear every time you hear hold a part of you dies a little bit I think because <laughs> you're like I have to do that again <laughs> I like um, to think of it as like another chance to get it right and I feel like yeah. at a tech rehearsal point you should not be at that but I'm like oh there's new people even if it's, you know, my stage manager friend and the lighting designer, but there's a new fresh audience. So how about this? Yeah. How about this? See, you also just have a much more positive outlook on those things than I do. Every time I hear hold, I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, I, I think it was these shining lives tech that I think didn't Olivia get really, really sick during that. Oh yeah, she did. Oh, God. And I remember asking her, how much water did you drink today? I didn't really drink any water. Okay. Well, she was sick. But like, on top of that, when you're sick, and you know that you have these things to go through, you really need to take care of yourself. I got sick during Borrow Babies Tech. And I was like, every like, time I'd be backstage, I would just drink an entire bottle of water. (laughs) I was like, whatever is in my system, I want it out. (laughs) And telling people that you're having those problems, like make sure your director knows if you're feeling really sick, especially during COVID, just don't come in. But like, yeah, if you're feeling really lightheaded or woozy or something, tell your director. And Mm -hmm. to that point, in terms of eating, some directors and uh, tech managers and things especially for tech days, but even for just regular rehearsals, the person who's in charge will kind of change hands. Oh, the director's going to come in and fix this blocking moment because now with the lights, it's different. Now it's back to the general manager who's going to continue on with the lighting and things like that. And then, oh, we're going to stop and do run crew the whole time. You've been on stage and you haven't gotten a chance to eat. You have to be your own advocate sometimes. And yeah, say to the stage manager, hey, can we take a break sometime soon? I really need to eat. Even in regular high school, regular after-school rehearsals, if your school day ends at like 3.30 and then you go straight into rehearsals, maybe you need to take a break at like 5.30 to go and eat something to make sure that you're sustaining yourself and you're keeping yourself healthy because you have to look out for yourself and your co-castmates just as much as you're putting on this show together. You have to Mm -hmm. be healthy when you're doing it. Yeah, because if you're not 100% your best self, then the cast can't be 100% its best self. Um, I I think we're pretty good with, you know, giving people breaks when they need to here. Um, But I believe it was Little Women Tech. Oh my gosh, Um, that was the longest tech. (laughs) That was the longest tech ever. That was my first experience of a tech at this show oh this yeah school. I was I was run crew and wardrobe crew let me know how that oh, was supposed yeah. to work well they that was really really difficult we came in as wardrobe crew day one and they were like oh by the way you're also run crew. <laughs> yeah and then Matthew who was our um scenic designer here he left Brilliant. now we have Vandy oh my god he was you know one of the smartest people I think I've ever met um he goes and goes and goes until the transition is perfect and it, it you'll be doing a transition at least like five times I moved that it, rock at least a hundred times in one day yes oh my gosh it was a very difficult tech process um and he had he was like we're not, I'm not gonna put you on a lot of um and a lot of scene changes because I know that because I was doing a lot of the hair for that show I made a lot of the costumes for that show So he was like, I know you know that realm, so you're going to be needed for changes over there too. 
Yeah. That was a lie. He put me in every single scene change. <laughs> that was a lie. Um, that was, <laughs> and that was not the truth. Um, yeah, he put me in every single scene change. Oh my gosh, it was absolutely crazy. And on top of that, I'm, I'm doing a scene change, running back into the like acting studio, getting somebody dressed, running back. That, sh- that show was crazy. And that was one that I had to have a meeting. I think it was with Matthew. Yeah, it was Matthew. And I was like, this is a lot. This is a lot happening. And I just want you to know that I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed right now. And he was like, I get why you're feeling overwhelmed. But he was like, but I trust you with it. And I don't think that you would, I don't think that you're going to like blow this, you know, I don't think this is going to be something that breaks you. And I was like, okay. Um, But the fact that I went to him, he then kind of realized, oh, wow, I did give her a lot of responsibilities during this. And ended up, I don't think I really had any, like, people to change, like, for costuming at the, by the end of that process, because he was like, you know, with the scene changes, there was a lot more furniture pieces and a lot more set pieces that needed to be, you know, moved in and out. Then there were costumes that needed to be changed every five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up doing a lot more of the scene stuff than I did with the wardrobe, but, you know. I think just being able to go to them and having a good relationship with, you know, if you're in an educational setting with your teachers or professors, or even if you're in the real world, it's intimidating to go up to them, but you have to, because as long as it's in a respectful way, they're going to receive it well. Yeah, I totally agree. They, they're looking out for your best interest. They do this because they want you to learn. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta advocate for yourself because they, not everyone can stop every four seconds and say, oh, is that okay? Is that okay? You get so pissed off. So you got to stop it for yourself. Yeah. Um, and when you're bringing food to rehearsals, Sammy, I really wanted to talk to you about this. Mm-hmm. So I would always bring trail mix to rehearsals in big Ziploc bags to like share with the whole cast so that everyone got some food and then generally people were happier. Yeah. So it was like a mix of things and then put nuts in it because, uh, you know, you never know if someone has a nut allergy. And even if you ask, there's people that won't tell you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that was something I found beneficial was just having food available and saying, hey, everyone can eat this. And by the time we got comfortable with each other through the course of the rehearsal process, people were picking out marshmallows, picking out what, what they wanted from the trail mix type of mm-hmm. idea. When you're bringing food to share and when you're bringing your own food are there any sensitivities that you adopt because you don't know if the person next to you has an eating disorder? Um, I think, well, the one thing that I always, which is so funny that you say that you bring trail mix. That's the one thing I never bring because my dance teacher told me a story once that she was eating a peanut butter sandwich and the girl next to her literally started having like a really bad allergic reaction. And she (laughs) never like fessed up to the fact that she was the one that had the peanut butter sandwich. Um, so that kind of scarred me. So I never bring anything with nuts in it anymore because I just get so afraid unless I, I'm very comfortable with the people around me and I know that nobody's allergic. Yeah, like here, know. yeah, like here, I know if somebody was allergic, they'd be like, Sam, don't bring that. And I'd be like, okay. Um, but yeah, I think if somebody says they don't want something, if they don't want to eat, don't force them to eat. <laughs> um, um, it's good to offer it and be like, okay, well, if you want it, then it's here. Um, I know people that, I don't know what, it is some sort of eating disorder. I don't know what the name of it is, um, where they just don't like eating in public. Like that, like other people looking at them while they're eating, um, makes them uncomfortable. It doesn't, they, they can't eat in that scenario. Um, which you're running a room in a theatrical space when you're choreographing, do you like say, could it be an option to be like, oh, take your break outside and they can eat by themselves? It depends. Um, usually the the kids that I work with at my studio, they are super, super loud. So I just make them go outside anyway because I need a break from them. Um, they're young, you know? So A lot I of the 20-year-olds we know are pretty loud. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Um, and I think... <laughs> Maybe that's why, you know, directors are always like, all right, take your break away from me. Go somewhere, (laughs) do something. Um, But I think with, I don't know, really. I mean, 
it's really difficult and I think the best thing to do is to read an individual's social cues and uh, like their body language especially um, because even though if somebody has the same exact eating disorder as somebody else their experience with it is going to be completely different and the way they react to it and the way they handle it is going to be completely different than another person so if you're saying to somebody here I brought this eat it I want you to try it and they say no then you know respect the fact that they don't want to um and if you suspect and if you're close enough to this person that there is an issue I mean you might be able to address it with them personally and you know just say like it doesn't even need to be like in a direct way being like hey I think you have an eating disorder yeah, um so like hey about you yeah no just be like hey like how are you feeling and if they open up to the fact of like saying it then and trusting you with that information then you know respect that they did um and also it's so different for each individual person you know and the relationship you have with that person it is yeah about what you can say and do yeah 100 percent um and i think people need to realize it affects more people than they think it does um and that an eating disorder doesn't have an image you know there's not like oh this person has an eating disorder and i can tell by the way they look yeah someone can look so that's it yeah someone could look really really like on the outside look healthy and they could be they could have an eating disorder they could be anorexic they could be bulimic um and it doesn't manifest itself in the ways that you often see depicted even I remember in like health class like when we would learn about eating disorders you would see like the token picture of anorexia was always this girl with her rib cage showing yes and that's not always the case arms or yeah yep Yep, and you, that's not always the case. No, and um, eating disorders can also be the opposite of, like, binging all the time and being like, well, if, you know, that, that, that is also an eating disorder. Yeah, um, and I don't, I, it, it affects more people than just one. Um, and I think just as their experience is going to be different, there's not really a clear way to tell, and you're not, <laughs> like, you're not a nutritionist, so don't diagnose people. Um, and I think my rule of thumb is that if a person can't change it in like five minutes, don't comment on it. So commenting on weight is completely unnecessary. Unless you know that this person is like attempting to lose or gain weight in a healthy way. And they've been open about that with you in the past saying like, oh, like I've been going to the gym a little bit more or I've been eating healthier and they've lost a few pounds, then, you know, you can be like, congratulations, but it also, you have to, like, weight loss and weight gain, it's just a subject that really shouldn't be brought up without knowing the person's intentions or journey with it. Yeah, if you're a student costumer, and you, oh, you wore this size last year, shouldn't you be this again? Like, just remeasure everyone, so it's not weird. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's something measured every time you're cast in a new show because even from semester to semester, yeah. Um, especially I think now I'm not really sure how it's working this semester because I just got back. Um, this semester we're sourcing most of our costumes at home because we have to launder them ourselves for COVID. Oh yeah, I kind of that's a whole different thing. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of forgot that COVID was a thing for a second. Um, <laughs> oh, bliss. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but I, ask I wish that was a thing. You said, like, don't tell someone if they can't fix it in five minutes. If you yeah. really suspect that your friend has an eating disorder or someone in your cast has an eating disorder, um, I'm of the mindset that, you know, in a private setting, not in front of everyone. Yeah, of course. You said, like, the are you okay? If it gets worse... Like, asking them, like, hey, I've noticed this. Should I be worried about you? I'm always here for you, that kind of thing. And if it still doesn't get better, tell your director. Yeah, I think it needs to be, especially if it's somebody that you're really close to and, like, 
I, I've learned the hard way to, I mean, my friend at one point, she was dropping weight like crazy. Um, and it turned out that she was just sick, you know, but I, I went away to school and I hadn't seen her for a couple of months. I came back and she just looked like a different person. And I, I, I've been friends with her my entire life. And I said, what's going on? You know, not in front of anybody. Um, and she was like, I don't know, I'm not doing anything differently. And that's when I was like, okay, maybe you should go to a doctor. Um, and she had like celiacs, like random, you know? Yeah. So I think when it's somebody that you're really close to and there's that level of comfort that you can do that and it not be awkward or not overstep, then definitely do it because that's going to benefit them in the end. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've had, or if it comes to a point died or who have gotten to that, that point of being hospitalized for an eating disorder and it's not fun. Yeah. And then I've been on the other no. side of it where I had a friend who I really, really suspected had an eating disorder and I talked to them about it and made sure that I wanted to know that they were supported. I mentioned something about when I had pneumonia in high school, I was shivering so much. I had a really bad fever. And through that constant movement and exercise, I had lost about 30 pounds in like three or four weeks, which yeah. was very unhealthy. Not, it was not something I actively chose to do. And then the yeah. people started shivering all the time, though they were unsick. And like counting calories, like, you know, signs that you look for and that your school tells you to look for. Brought it up to them. And then I brought it up to the administration anonymously. This person asked me directly if it was me who reported them. And I said yes, because I wasn't going to just lie about it. And it was pretty obvious from just our perspective through our private conversations that mm -hmm. it was me. And this person got furious at me for bringing it to the school's attention. Ruined my reputation in the theater department and the choir department. And... I graduated high school with about two friends. Yeah, it's really difficult. But I think in the end, you did the, I don't know, it's hard because it like feels like it's the right thing. And that's something that all theater people are, and per performance people in general really have to take into account. I would not change anything about what I did because mm -hmm. I thought the whole way through that it was the right thing to do to protect my friend. Yeah. But And sometimes when people are going through something like that, they're not in the right mindset and they think what they're doing is perfectly normal and perfectly okay. Absolutely. Um, but, and it takes an outsider's perspective sometimes, but my course of action has always been to confront the person first, let them know that and like make them aware of the situation that you think is happening. Um, and there's always going to be a level of denial um, yeah, or push back but, against you when you put yeah. yourself out there like that. Yeah, you're opening yourself to that, but it's worthwhile because, like I said, there and like Sam has experienced, this really affects people's lives. Mm -hmm. Oh, 100%. It completely it can change a person. Um, I remembered. I remember going up to my friend and saying like, why did like how, what happened that you lost all this weight? Because she was super skinny to begin with. Um, and I was like, what like happened? Like, are you okay? Did you like, were you trying to lose weight? And I remember being nervous that like, oh my God, I just brought up weight. Like that's like not something that I typically do with her or with anybody. Um, because I've always I grew up in a family where, you know, my, my brother and sister were overweight um, and a few of my other, like my extended family were overweight. And that it's sometimes obesity can be a genetic thing, um, but they also were just not making good life choices. And I remember that was just such an unspoken thing in my family is if, you know, brother or sister gained a few pounds don't say anything because they'll get mad because they know it <laughs> like yeah um but that's I think that's saying. like it's you don't have to comment on someone's weight they know they know yeah <laughs> they look in the mirror every day trust me they they're aware if they've gained a few pounds um and there's no need for you to be the one to be like you've gotten fat like as if that determines you, somebody's you worth too thin you're wasting away eat a sandwich yeah 
Um, I think the biggest thing for people that are struggling with eating disorders, and I know it's so, it's so much easier said than done, but you have to realize that your weight does not determine who you are as a person. It doesn't determine your worth as a person. Um, and it doesn't, if you are bigger or smaller than the person next to you, that does not make you a better or worse person. Or a theatrical talent too. That's a great point, Sam. I used to yeah. go through life like, oh, well, I wish I could get that role, but I'm not pretty enough. I'm like, oh, I wish I could be friends with that person or ask that person out, but I'd have to lose like 10 pounds first. Like those are genuine thoughts that go through your head. And it sounds mm-hmm. insane because if any of our friends gained or lost any amount of weight, it would not change our feelings about them. No. I mean, I went through a whole, like last, last semester, I lost like 10 pounds. I probably gained it back during quarantine because I wasn't doing anything. Um, but I lost like 10 pounds at the beginning of last semester. And I remember going home and everyone was like, oh my God, you look so good. What did you do? And like treated me completely different. Like, it was crazy. Like, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I think it becomes a thing if people lose weight. And I know that I did it in a healthy way. But if people lose weight by any circumstance and they see it, it's automatically, I need to compliment this person because they lost weight as if that means anything. But if they gain weight, you can't bring it up. But you can, you know. Signs of depression or anxiety or body dysmorphia of any kind yeah something way deeper definitely, definitely praises people who lose weight but also is mad at people who are not curvy women specifically and men yeah. too like skinny men who aren't like muscular everyone yeah something that they think is wrong with their body even if you're you know arnold schwarzenegger there's still going to be the next Arnold Schwarzenegger who's going to be more veiny than you. Yeah. More contests about painting yourself brown than you. Yeah, it's crazy. I think people don't... I remember not when I was growing up not thinking that societal standards were a thing. And I always just thought it was my own self-affliction of the struggle that I had looking in the mirror. You know, I just thought it was me. And I never realized the environmental factors that kind of go into it, like shaping your image. And I think that's when, when, you know, everything started to kind of fall into place for me, like, oh, maybe I do need to focus on what I'm doing for myself more. Um, and it didn't, it wasn't until sophomore year of college, I think that I went to a nutritionist and she was like, yeah, so these are the things that they, this is, she didn't diagnose you, diagnose me because you can't really be diagnosed from a nutritionist, I don't believe. Um, but she was like, these are the things that I suspect is going on with you. And she told me, and I was like, okay, how do I fix it? Like, what, what can I do? And it's just as much as, you know, the things that you need to do for yourself as far as changing your eating habits, changing your exercise patterns, changing, you know, your lifestyle as working on your mental health, you know, like going to therapy and, you know, I think it comes from determining you are not the number that's on the scale because honestly, how much weight you put down onto the earth's surface doesn't mean anything. You know, it means absolutely nothing. Um, So I think to people that are struggling, just realize that you are not determined by anything else. You're not, you're not determined by your physical appearance. Those are just categorizable traits, you know, for you so that your body can keep going and doing what it's supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. But if you want cheese fries, eat cheese fries. Eat cheese fries. There's no, like, eating bad one time out of a few times is not going to kill you. It's not going to make you gain weight. You, you, might, you might feel bloated. You might feel like shit afterwards. But, like, in the meantime. Of like, yeah. like I said, like, I'd go home and I'd eat half a loaf of bread because I was starving. you just eat pizza or whatever was around. If you're actively thinking, okay, well take an, you know, an hour a week and you could even meal prep and just 
plan out, oh, I'm going to bring some oranges and I'm going to bring some spinach, not a whole bag of spinach, (laughs) (laughs) some peanut or sun butter, no peanut butter, don't want to kill anyone. Yeah. (laughs) Some protein, uh, maybe dried chickpeas or something. Yeah. Then you won't be starving and just craving whatever junk food is near you. If you're taking care of your body consistently and your mind and your mental health. Yeah. Then eat sustainably until your next meal. Yes. Oh, well, thank you, Sam. That's a great note to end on. <laughs> no, I think this is a really beneficial episode. I'm glad. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks for being on. Come back <laughs> next week, everyone, where we're going to read Noises Off with special guest Haley Turner. Everyone, keep pursuing, keep performing, pencils down. You're listening to The Theater Student Podcast with Emmy D'Amico.